Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. We're just going to dive right in. Acts 16, verse 29. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. In case you don't remember, a couple of weeks ago we were studying, and uh, this guy was about to take his own life, right? There's an earthquake. He woke up and the doors are open to the prison he's supposed to be guarding. He assumes the worst. He sees nothing but the worst case scenario. He takes out his sword and he's about to take his life. He thought all hope was lost. He couldn't see past his present darkness. And he was about to end it. So he called for the lights. This is a Greek phrase that means to demand torches to be brought in. In darkness, this jailer saw no hope. He couldn't see that no one had escaped. He assumed the worst, so he called for lights to be brought in so that he could see the circumstances for what they were, so that he could see the truth because darkness lies. While this is a physical reality in this verse, it's also a spiritual truth. The destruction brought by darkness can only be overcome by light because sin hides and grows in dark secrecy. We see this to be true in Ephesians 5, 8 through 11, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. You see, sin grows in darkness. A lot of times we try to oversimplify darkness and light as that's good and bad, but it's not just that. Darkness is where bad grows, where evil grows, where sin lives. Darkness is when we say, instead of exposing sin in my heart so I can guard my heart against sin, I'm going to guard the sin in my heart by hiding it in secrecy. And God calls us to have nothing to do with that, but expose it. So he says, hey, bring the lights in. We need torches in here right now. Somebody just talked and I need to know if this is true. So he rushed in. He was desperate to see if he could truly have hope and victory over what the lies of darkness had told him. Maybe you came here today desperate for hope that there can be victory over your present darkness. Jesus, give us the same urgency to run into the light for that hope of victory. Because I promise you're never going to find it in darkness. He runs in, lights have been brought, and he runs in trembling with fear. This is the Greek word in tromos. It means pertaining to extreme terror or feared, often accompanying, accompanied by trembling. Of course he's trembling in fear. 
He was about to take his own life because he saw no farther uh, future for him. He had no hope in himself or in anyone else. And suddenly he was presented with that same word, hope. He calls for lights. He runs in. He sees not just Paul and Silas, but all the prisoners. And he falls on his knees before Paul and Silas. This jailer encountered something beyond this world. He knew the charges against Paul and Silas. I'm sure he had interactions with them as they were booked. I'm sure he heard their prayers and singing before he fell asleep. I'm sure he heard them saying, as Paul's encouraging Silas and Silas is encouraging Paul, like, hey, yeah, we're in jail. Yes, this hurts. Yes, we've been beating. Yes, we're bleeding out. We might die. But if we do, we see Jesus. That's their hope. This jailer is hearing them. I'm sure for the most part at the beginning, maybe he's thinking they're insane. But he hears things like, we've been saved. They can take this body. They can't take our souls. Our souls belong to Christ. I'm sure he thought there was something wrong with them. I'm sure one of his thoughts was, these guys are not going to make it in jail. Now he simply wants to worship who they worship. We must be convicted to live lives that cause others to want to worship our God. That when we're in our deepest darkness and we're singing praises to God, someone looks at us and can say, whatever they're worshiping, that's who I want to worship. But sadly, so often we live lives that cause people that, to want to say, I want nothing to do with whoever they're with. Would the people that you ate dinner around last night in a restaurant want to go to the church you go to? Or would they say, I want nothing to do with them? Then he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They stayed in prison after the doors were open and their bonds were broken. And for some reason, the rest of the prisoners did too. God used Paul and Silas to lead the lowest in society, the prisoners, the ones in jail, the people that we don't want our kids around. God used Paul and Silas to lead them to do what no one else would have done, right? What happens when you open prison doors? Escape. But because of the influence of Paul and Silas worshiping Jesus Christ and praising him and pray, uh, praying out to him, these prisoners wanted, to, they would look to Paul and Silas and then when they saw Paul and Silas, bonds released and they just stayed. These outcasts stayed with them. So this jailer brought them out to ask them the most, most important question that could have been asked. And he calls them something, he calls them sirs. The Greek word is kurios. 
It's a title of respect used in addressing or speaking to a man. It literally means lords. Physically, this jailer was the one in authority here. But now he's calling Paul and Silas lords on his knees. He respects them beyond what words could say because of their words and their actions in being beaten and arrested, because of their prayers and worship while shackled to the prison floor, because they stayed when no one else would. This man sees people that did what no man would do. He looks at Paul and Silas and be like, no one would respond to being beaten like you did. No one would respond to being arrested and chained up the way you did. I threw you in the jail. And then when the doors were open, you stayed. This is an absurd type of positional authority. What positional authority normally means is you respect me because I have this, this position. So since I have this position, you have to show me respect. It is the weakest and lowest possible sense of authority. Instead, here's what we see in Paul and Silas. I'll position myself in humility in spite of an arrogant attack. I'll position myself in worship in spite of facing hell on earth. I'll position myself alongside you even when a quick getaway would be so much easier. Positioning ourselves like this will always earn respect and the chance for a conversation about anything. If you'll stick with someone when they don't deserve it, that gives you the right to have any conversation you wanna have. She so goes to them, he says, all right, lords, men that I respect beyond any words I can possibly say. I heard you singing, I heard you praying, you're still here when you shouldn't be. What must I do? This man realizes that he has fallen, broken, sinful, and without hope. He's heard Paul and Silas pray and sing for salvation, and he desperately wants it. But what he rightfully assumes is there's probably a high price. So he wants to know, what do I have to do? What's this gonna cost me? I'll pay it, but what do I need to do? How many things am I gonna have to give up? How many things am I gonna have to work for? What, what do I need to do? I gotta do something, let me do it. I'll do anything for that salvation. He's about to be surprised, isn't he? The word saved is a Greek word, sozo, and it means to bring safely. You see, lostness is a very big problem. We're born into sins and we're victims of it, right? Anybody taught your kids how to sin? Me either. They come by naturally. But we then choose sin ourselves as violators. And that sin is our enslaving master, shackling us to every wrong choice we have ever made. And those choices only become heavier. Salvation is an impossible solution. Something that would move me from condemned criminal to upstanding citizen. From disgusting, diseased, unwanted orphan to a son or a daughter of God the Father. 
What could we possibly do to earn that? And they said, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe comes from the root word pistis in Greek. It's the word for faith. To believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. This isn't belief in yourself that I can do enough. This is belief that someone else can do what you can't. That belief can be very difficult because we really want to save ourselves, don't we? We want to fix ourselves. We want to fix the situation, but we can't. We can only believe in the one who can. He says, believe and you will be saved. So this means that you are caused to be brought to safety. Belief is all we bring to the table. Jesus carries us from slavery to freedom, from damaged to newly created, from felon to citizen, from orphan to child. Jesus does all of it. All we bring is belief. You'll be saved, you and all your household. This doesn't mean that anyone will automatically receive salvation because you do. You can't receive your parents' faith you can't be born into to Christianity. I've heard people say that, and it always, it's always a conversation to have when someone says, oh, I've always been a Christian. No, you have not. You were born in darkness and sin. Belief in Jesus is deeply and intimately personal. So what does it mean then if it doesn't mean that because this jailer gets saved, his household gets saved? It means that no one is beneath salvation. This jailer's spouse, his children, not even the servants who lived in his household were beneath the desire for Christ to save them. No one. Jesus Christ is offering you salvation today if you will simply believe in him. So will you accept that he can and will do what you can't. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. Nothing else is necessary for someone to be saved, just the word of the Lord. So they're speaking this word, not just to the jailer who's asking questions, but also to the people in his house. If you're a Christian in here today, If Jesus has saved you, who are you speaking the word of God to? This made me ask a list of questions to myself. Why is our faith so silent? Why are there so many people in our lives that have never heard us mention Jesus Christ? Maybe they've heard you say, I go to church at this place, but have they ever heard you say, Jesus' name. Why do people so little why do people see so little difference between us and the rest of the world? And I think the answer I came to is because we've come to accept a lie. And that lie is they don't want to know what I have to say. 
That is a lie from Satan. He's convinced you to think that people don't need to hear your faith. They don't want to hear you. But statistically, we've heard this. There was a, 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 a big uh, study done and it was a majority of 70 something percent of people said if they were ever invited to church, they'd be glad to go. So why did they not go? Because they were never invited. Do you know it's more uncomfortable for people who know you're a Christian to never hear about your faith? You say you have this life altering, changing thing that you believe in and then they hear about March Madness and not about Jesus ever. What does that tell them about your life altering faith? That it's not so life altering. Paul and Silas brought this message to the secret gathering of the Jews outside of Philippi, right? Then they're beaten and taken to jail. So they take this message to the prison and the prisoners. Then they take it to the jailer's house. Your people are desperate for salvation. Share it with them. As if, like Ashley said, you only have today. Because you might. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. The first thing this man does after accepting Christ is to show compassion to those who are hurting. Again, this is a very physical reality, right? He actually took them physically wounded men into his house and he starts washing their wounds, right? Caring for them, loving on them. They would have had some pretty severe wounds from being beaten with rods. But again, this makes me think of a spiritual reality. How often do we have someone come and pour gospel love into us? And then what we do is we simply criticize their wounds. They love on us and what we point out is, look at all the stuff you got going on there. Why are we so slow to tend to wounds and so quickly, so quick to judge them? I would ask you to raise your hands, but I think it'd have to be all of us who in here walked in this room wounded today? Who walked in wounded and afraid to share your wounds because you didn't know what people would say about them? Shame on us, right? I had a really difficult week with, with, with lots of things. Ashley had a really difficult week. That's okay. Because what we should be able to do is walk in and say, hey, I'm wounded today and be able to trust that I'm gonna have people come up and say, let me tend to those wounds. He was baptized at once. Baptism is the first act of obedience that Christ calls us to after he saves us. We don't need to delay it. We got to see baptism this morning. We're gonna to see a bit more baptisms coming soon. If you need to be baptized, tell me or one of our elders today because I promise you we will make that happen anytime. I would love to have baptisms every week. So then he brought him up to, into his house and he set food before them. After caring for his wounds, for their wounds and getting baptized, this jailer practices hospitality. He brings Paul and Silas into his home. That's a regular occurrence throughout the Bible is bringing people into your house. You see this all throughout the New Testament. It's because there's something sacred, vulnerable 
and real about having someone in your home and that really doesn't happen anywhere else. And he set food before them. Sharing meals is also a sacred thing. So much of the word shows this as a deep way to connect. Because here's the thing, friends meet somewhere else for activities. Families share meals in homes. So we have to decide, church, are we going to be friends who share an activity or are we going to be a family who shares meals? And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This word rejoiced means to experience a state of great joy and gladness, often involving verbal expression and appropriate body movement. Again, let's talk about postures here, right? Has anybody, seen, has anybody assumed someone was joyful doing this? That's not joy. And I'm not saying we need to be happy all the time. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. But there's a reaction to experiencing joy in Jesus Christ. There are postures for this. Sometimes the postures are bowing on your knees and just laying in brokenness before God saying, hey, I'm hurting. When good things are, are happening, when you've seen the miracles of Christ, your, your reaction, your response is bodily making motion to saying, Jesus Christ is great and performs great things. He heals people like Camille. He heals Kevin. He saves Mike from something that could have been very terrible. He healed Ashley's nanny on the other side. We get to praise a great Jesus and that needs to be reflected in our bodies. There's no better response for God's salvation than to rejoice. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Do you have any darkness in your life today that needs to be exposed through confession? If you do, do it. Your first confession is to Jesus, but then we're called to confess to each other. Find somebody and share that. Are you living your life in such a way that others are drawn to worship Christ? Paul and Silas, beaten and imprisoned, were singing praises and praying out to Jesus. And a jailer said, I want to worship who you worship. Is that how you live? Are you positioning yourself in humility and love to earn opportunities to share the gospel? you placed your faith in Jesus to save you from your brokenness because there's no one beyond the salvation of Jesus Christ if you haven't believe in him today and then come and tell me or someone else 
that you want Jesus to save you. Christ draws to you. You are light that brings healing from the brokenness that sin has done to us in darkness. Bring healing today inside of our hearts. Lord, convict us to live lives that bring others to want to worship you. Help us to live in a way of humility and love that earns conversations that we can tell people about you. And Lord, more than anything, I pray that your spirit would convict and show someone in this room that they are lost, but you can find them. They're broken, you can mend them. They're dead and you can make them alive. They are blind and you can help them to see because of sin and your great sacrifice that they would believe in you. Amen. Please stand and respond however Christ leads you.